every morning before class, I turned on my bathtub, cold as it can get, filled it up. So it's like 42 degrees, cold enough to not want to get in there. But I would do three, four or five rounds of Wim Hof, get in the cold, get out, freaking shoot lasers and lightning out of my fingers as I'm moving and my heart's pumping and everything's like turned on. And I'm tapping into that feeling and experience that I uh, uh, saw Wim Hof speak from. And I'm like, yo, this shit's good. And I'd go to class and I'm sitting up tall front row ready to learn. And I've never been a good student. And all of a sudden I'm being a good student and, and my ADHD wasn't kicking in as much. And I wasn't taking my Adderall every day like I usually do. And I was just like, this is freaking amazing. And then my classmates are drinking their coffee, falling asleep. And I'm like, dude, I'm on to something. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of Mindset RX and your host. And I believe that your breath can be used as the control dial of your mind to unlock new levels of performance. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I respond to it. Today on the Limitless Athlete Podcast, you will be listening to a conversation between physiotherapist, breathwork practitioner, and much more besides Justin Turner's. Justin is passionate about helping patients address pain, injury, and physical limitations through functional exercises, manual therapy skills, biopsychosocial education, so biological, psychological, and societal education, pain science, and mindfulness techniques. In this podcast, Justin gives a great introduction to the way our breath can be used as a kind of control dial, this kind of joystick for our mental state. Very simply, if you want to calm down, find peace, slow down, then you need to trigger what's known as your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest. You can do this by switching to nasal breathing as opposed to mouth breathing. You can slow down your breath and you can do a few other things that we also talk about in the show besides that. Also, if you want to raise your state, if you want to become narrow in your focus, if you want to get ready for a highly demanding workout, for example, you can switch to a sympathetic state. And that is that kind of fight or flight mode, the kind of the stress response, like the kind of the slight anxiety response. Alongside breathwork, we also discuss how pain functions, why cold exposure and breathwork go hand in hand, um, we touch on positive affirmations quickly and developing awareness of your mental state to help you regulate it. We're not coming out with a debrief next week. For the next couple of weeks, I'm away and Rachel and I are taking a break from recording the debrief. So you're going to have to learn to apply these lessons yourself without our help. So maybe check out some of our previous episodes. Now let's get on to the show with Justin. Welcome to the show. It's a real pleasure to meet you properly. Nice to meet you, man. Let's start off with, um, I kind of, I've been thinking about how to intro you and do your bio and all that kind of stuff. And I'll do that after the show, but how do you define what you do? 
Yeah, that's a great, um, great question. Happy to be on here. Thanks for having me. Um, I'll, I'll often ask my clients and people I work with, like, hey, uh, if you wouldn't mind, like, telling me what you think I do, that'd be great, because I really don't know. Um, it changes and flows so, so frequently. Um, but by profession, I'm a physical therapist, so a doctor of physical therapy, um, licensed in the state of California. I'm based in San Diego. And that's been my profession for the last five years and really my entry point to um, mind body performance work. And from there, over the last five years, I've taken a few deep dives into um, pain science, chronic pain, psychophysiological pain and disorders. So uh, pains and like, like uh, you think about phantom limb pain and how uh, an injury or a a limb hurts and that limb doesn't even exist. Um, also psychophysiological pain, like low back pain without any, um, tissue damage, uh, that's prevalent and how that impacts people's lives. So deep dove into pain science and was fascinated by that. And then soon after discovered men's group work, uh, men's group, and emotional based connection work, talking to dudes in a circle saying, yo, I feel upset. I feel happy. I feel, and like, and, and recognizing that there was a huge gap between where I was and where I observed other men and mentors of mine speaking so openly about what's going on and creating this like vulnerable space, but really strength in vulnerability. And so I was like, okay, these emotional pieces are real and they are in the body. That's what an emotion is. It's an energy in the body, a, a way that we react to a certain scenario. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh fuck emotions and how emotions work in the body and how emotions can cause tension and tightness and anxiety and stress in the body directly connects with the pain science and psychophysiology that I'm looking at and deep diving into fuck yeah, that's a good blend. So started bringing in the emotional health piece to my work with patients, really just asking them how they felt rather than saying, Hey, let's do these exercises and talking about how pain is in the brain and all those um, different nomenclatures on pain science. But then as soon as I started inviting feelings into my sessions and, and giving space for someone to feel sad as they're recognizing that their knee isn't performing in the way that they expect their knee to perform. As soon as I gave space for them to have this like release, maybe all of a sudden I was like, Hey, it's okay to cry in session. That makes sense that you're crying because of this emotional pain that's building on top of that. And as soon as I started doing that, I started seeing really cool results of injury outcomes and, and strengthening. And all of a sudden uh, my patients were working with a little bit more clarity and they weren't obstructed by these repressed feelings and emotions. And so now, and then I added breath work and I started doing breath work. So that's a huge piece too. But um, now what I do and how I would define it is it's psychophysiological practices or mind body practices to um, allow you to understand yourself in a better way so you can perform better and you can clear 
energetic blocks so you can show up more in tune with the world. Um, but I could define how, what I do and how, what I do, uh, in 20 different ways. Every time I explain it, it would be a little bit different, but the really core basis is that of connecting with yourself, understanding, improving your awareness of self, and then making shifts to change your behavior so you can show up better in the world. Yeah, there's so much that I want to dive into there that you kind of got about five or six jumping off points that I want to touch on. Um, one of them is kind of moving a bit more into what is psychophysiology, like what's happening there. Um, it's kind of, it seems like it's been on the fringe for a while to discuss or to, to, to think that our mind affects our body and our body affects our mind. It's kind of like this ongoing transfer. Um, but, but what is it? What, how do you see it? Yeah. Um, I love how, you poised that question is how do you see it? Um, because to answer what it is, is one thing, but how I see it is, is another. And how I see it is um, our mind works independently of itself. Our cognitive system works independently to our body, which works independent to our cardiovascular system is its own thing. And our respiratory system is our own thing. Our nervous system is its own thing but none of these exist without connecting to the other. So every piece of our being has its own constituent parts, but the interlinking between everything is what uh, really is the most important piece of who we are and how we perform and how we show up. So psychophysiology is you look at, the autonomy of the brain and the thinking mind. And then you look at the autonomy of the body and the, the thinking mind, and then you see how they communicate, but they also miscommunicate. And in between those two communications, you are your thinking mind, your, your consciousness is that piece that can influence, hey, are they being uh, pesky brother and sister and nagging at each other and they're on the wrong page? Or are they working together and understanding each other? And as soon as your mind and your body understand where each other is at and you, the individual, being able to see both sides of the picture can be the mediator to say, hey, yeah, it makes sense that you're thinking really fast. And guess what? Your heart rate's going really fast, too. So how can we like blend that together? Um, so if that's how I see it is mind body and or psychophysiology practices is the way that you can mend things together so that they can work together rather than in opposition and then at that point you're in stress you're in a negative stress not a positive stress to create growth you're in a negative stress so where do emotions come into this? Like, obviously, we've got that kind of transfer of information that we just spoke about. The consciousness being the kind of—I like the, the phrase you use—the mediator um, mm -hmm. between those two realms. Um, yeah, where, where do emotions come into this? Yeah, so emotional system is its own system. Um, and I work with people. I'll—I'll I'll do a check-in process. Just have them check in with their physical body. Hey, what are you feeling? So, a body scan, tightness, chest, core, stomach. Uh, quenching in my stomach, uh, my throat's tight. You know, I get that like body feedback. And then I ask, how do you feel in your emotional body? Cause the emotional body is, it's a system in itself. So emotions are 
ever present in ourselves, in our beings. If you feel like you're not really feeling an emotion at the moment, you're likely um, not tuned into the emotions that are present in that moment uh, because it's, they are ever present. Um, and usually when we have emotions and what are emotions, anger, sadness, joy, grief, guilt, shame, love, joy, and any variation of any of those, those exist and often they exist all together in this intertangled web of you, you-ness. And so um, how do emotions play into that? Because emotions exist in our body always, our body and our emotional body will always have some kind of response to that. And so um, often you'll, you'll feel like a tension in your shoulder and maybe you did a, a nice set of upper trap shrugs two days prior. Uh, and so you can associate that tension in your shoulder there, but at the same time, maybe you're holding on to a, a stress or an emotional stress in that same shoulder. So to associate, say, Hey, I feel this way because blank. Um, I think that's very, uh, it's, it's reductionist. It's like, Hey, I feel this because of this. When emotions are ever present in the body, I think acknowledging that something that I'm feeling in my body may have a contrib a contribution from the emotions that I'm feeling that's empowering because it's like, Oh, it makes sense that I feel the way I feel because I, I might have an emotion that's present. Um, so it, it affects our emotions affect our body and um, and that's how it would influence how we show up to answer that question. Oh, sweet. And then I suppose from there, like I, I want to explore the, the kind of awareness of emotions. Cause I know speaking from my own personal point of view it's taken me the best part of 30 years to start working and go, okay, like I am feeling X, whereas I spent a lot of time kind of shutting it out. So how are you, I'm sure it kind of depends on which clients you've got and who you're working with, but how are you drawing awareness to emotional states? Yeah. Um, I want to educate that first and invite that in. Um, just really, it has to start with education for me and that awareness piece, like what is an emotion? I think um, the term emotion really varies for most people even though it is the same, but our awareness and understanding of what that means is different. So I, I want to make sure that I'm on the same page whenever I say the word emotion as the person I'm working with. So like step one is saying like, Hey, what do you know about emotions? What do you feel like? What does that mean? And then adding in my own understanding and nomenclature and linguistic on, on emotion saying, okay, so how I see emotions and what I've learned from the work I've done in emotions is that emotions are different states that exist in our body. Uh, and they come from um, how we react to certain uh, external stimulus. And so um, I, I usually introduce it in that way. And then always, always lead by example and share um, vulnerably what I'm feeling like in this moment right now. And I link in the body because body and emotions go so close together. But in, in this moment right now, I feel like my uh, upper chest, like pecs are tight and clenched. 
And underneath that is a nervousness, a, uh, a slight fear. And I also feel in that, in that strength in my chest, that tightness, it's not just tightness, it's kind of strength I'm sitting up tall and I feel proud to be here. I feel excited to be talking about this. I feel like purposeful in this moment. And so me acknowledging what I'm feeling in the body and then the underlying feelings helps me get more grounded and rooted in communicating with you. And then, so I'll, I'll, I'll share that and maybe I'll say, Hey, my stomach hurts and uh, there's some uneasiness in my, my stomach uh, or I feel frustration in my hands. So me modeling that first creates mm-hmm. safety to be seen and, and felt and heard. And really like it just changes my relationship with the, that person who I'm working with so quickly because there's a sense of like, okay, cool. There's raw, raw authenticity. They're like, fuck yeah, dude, I feel that in my chest too. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. like, it's like, wow. Like <clears throat> you say tingling in your feet, like my feet are feel like feeling tingly squirming too. Right. So there's this opportunity of relatability. And that's what we do as humans is we, we relate with each other uh, verbally with words and emotionally with inner like energies and emotions between, Hey, like uh, I feel tight. Hey, me too. Right. So there's this other language that I, we can speak to each other with. And, and that with that, it's like nonverbal communication. And I'm like, hey, I see that you're you're taking some deep breaths. I'm acknowledging where you're at. And it's like, wow, you're reading my body. I'm acknowledging the nonverbal communication style. And in um, I've done two years of psychotherapy training um, and psychodynamic training. And in that um, I really learned and started to learn to appreciate the value of what's called the unconscious therapeutic alliance. That is the unconscious connection and alliance that I can create with my client and or patient, um, which means that they feel comfortable and safe with me to open up. And mm-hmm. that's important. So naturally unconscious therapeutic alliance comes on board whenever I say, Hey, I'm feeling this. And then there's like, Oh fuck. Okay. Cool. Me too. This is a real human. I'm talking to not just a, a, a person with a sheet and a notepad trying to go through a list of physical mechanical items. It's really like, Oh shit, dude, this guy's like listening to me and hearing and mm. being real. So I suppose yeah. whilst you're going through your own checklist as well, what's happening is that they're inevitably drawn to awareness of their own, like whatever area you're talking about. Like they, there's no way they're not going to think about what their chest feels like. There's no way they're not going to think about their feet. There's not like, it's kind of, it's forced and it's, um, and it's subtle at the same time, which is yeah. super clever with, for those people without the resource of you, where would you say for oh, is a good place to start with this? Like if they're, if they're bringing awareness to this, how, how, how do people start? Yeah. Um, I don't know of anyone who doesn't have access to me. So hit me up. <laughs> I'm, I'm an open book. I want to share this information with people um, and, and where to start. Um, I think there's a ton of modalities and information and um, podcasts talking about emotions and emotional health and, and um, I think, as, as I'm 
learning myself more about these modalities and ways to communicate, I'm noticing that it seems that the uh, overarching society of health and wellness is starting to take to the importance of emotional health and mental health. Absolutely. And so um, I think that any point is a good starting point. There's a ton of stuff coming up and out. A lot of apps, a lot of podcasts, a lot of books. Um, Huberman's great. Um, so um, uh, I think there's a lot of like somatic experiencing type stuff. Uh, so hard to answer that question because I think there are so many entry points. Uh, so the best place to start is taking that step and moving towards wanting to figure and learn a little bit more about yourself. When did you begin to see um, the value of breath work and how does that link into our mutual friend Casper and seeing um, and spending that time in Iceland? Yeah, absolutely. So breath work uh, became something that was um, on my radar and something I practiced in 2016. Um, I, I heard the Wim Hof podcast on Joe Rogan, the first episode that they had together. And um, as soon as I heard that like crazy Dutch dude speaking with so much excitement and exuberance for the world and life. And like, I was like, dude, what the hell is this guy on? Like, what is he talking about? But it was so real and authentic. And I was really drawn and interested. And, um, I practiced the breathwork pattern with him on the podcast and had a felt sensation of like benefit from it. And then I looked up some YouTube videos and from that day forward, I was, I've been practicing daily. Um, my practice has changed significantly in the last like year and a half. Cause I, I kind of, I've added a lot of like embodiment practices and maybe some Kundalini techniques that I find valuable for myself and some, maybe some holotropic twists. Um, and, and so my practice is really different than just like the Wim Hof method, but, uh, Back then, I was in physical therapy school, physiotherapy school, and uh, before going to school every morning, and I went to school in Boston, so it's very cold in the winters, and every morning before class, I turned on my, I, I turned on my bathtub, cold as it can get, filled it up, so it's like 42 degrees, and uh, so I think that'd be like 15 do some quick Googling. Do some Googling for that. But I would fill my bathtub up with cold tap water, which was cold enough to not want to get in there. But I would do three, four, five rounds of Wim Hof, get in the cold, get out, freaking shoot lasers and lightning out of my fingers as I'm moving and my heart's pumping and everything's like turned on and I'm tapping into that feeling and experience that I uh, uh, saw Wim Hof speak from. And I'm like, yo, this shit's good. And I'd go to class and I'm sitting up tall front row ready to learn. And I've never been a good student. And all of a sudden I'm being a good student and, and my ADHD wasn't kicking in as much. And I wasn't taking my Adderall every day like I usually do. And I was just like, this is freaking amazing. And then my classmates are drinking their coffee, falling asleep. And I'm like, dude, I'm on to something freaking good. And I was really 
really that's where I dove in big time deep. And so um, since then, started practicing and practicing on my own. And, and really, it was I wanted other people to do it with me, but no one would, no one would do it. <laughs> no one's crazy enough to jump in. I'm like, yo, like, let's try it. And like, I'd get groups together and they do it once and be like, okay, cool. That was a good experience, but it wasn't like a lifestyle for them. And so I really didn't understand that, but that wasn't for me to understand. So I was like, hey, this works for me. I moved to San Diego to start working as a physio and in San Diego, my, one of my draws to this area is it's a very like holistic health forward space, a lot of physical activity, um, a lot of woo woo activity. I didn't know that there was as much woo woo until I got here and I started looking around. I was like, Oh shit, there's some woo -woo (laughs) stuff going on. And I loved it. Uh, and I found a group of Wim Hofers here and I started connecting with them uh, Reese Peluso is one of them. And he introduced me to Casper Vandermeulen and was like, Hey, we're doing a Iceland week long retreat, like Wim Hof, like it's for mostly like Wim Hof, Wim Hof practitioners at that time I wasn't. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna go check this out. Went to Iceland in February of 2019. Um, and did a, as deep of a dive as you can do in a breath work and ice and cold and nature. And that just shifted things like significantly for me, um, probably more on like a spiritual level uh, as well. And in addition to the psychophysiological level. So um, how so did it shift on a spiritual level? Yeah, um, man. Well, one Casper was the leader and I think he, he <laughs> yeah. in spirituality. Um, but the, the space and the setting and the humans that were there and the conversations that were had, uh, weren't directly talking about God or Jesus or spirituality, but the underlying like essence of like connection that was being made had a very like, comforting and um enlightening type feeling sensation so i link for me personally i link spirituality to nature uh deeply and i I find a lot of connection personally in nature on that spiritual realm and winter in iceland i'd go outside in the middle of the night and just sit and just observe the deep, deep stillness and, and like watch stars and just really, I got this newfound appreciation for nature um, amongst community in that space. And um, at the same time too, we saw Aurora Borealis and it's like, that's enough. This shit's wild. This shit's great. So, um, yeah. And, and again, just some really deep conversations I've had with, I had with people on that trip and, and openings into my own like psychology and pains and things. So mm. uh, yes. Yeah. I suppose the thing like, and by the way, 42 Fahrenheit, it's like five and a half degrees centigrade. So like five yeah. degrees of freezing. Right. Um, yeah. So okay. yeah, the, um, the kind of the thing that we're kind of speaking around, but we haven't touched on in detail is how um how how cold and breath are linked like why do they go hand in hand with each other yeah um because both are nervous system practices both are psychophysiological practices 
and how I look at it is when I'm breathing in a certain way that triggers my nervous system, like breathe fast and heavy, hyperventilate, what you're doing is you're going to uh, obviously shift your respiratory system. Your cardiovascular system is going to respond, but then your thinking mind will start to go. Uh, your ego will like start to pop up um, and your nervous system will start to get triggered. And so in breath work, I use breath work as an opportunity for me to be the mediator between, between what's going on and how I speak and bring in intentionality. Like why am I, I'm doing this for my heart. I'm doing this for my lung capacity. I'm doing this to clear stress. I'm doing this to uh, create neuroplasticity in my emotional brain center. I'm doing this to deactivate my frontal cortex, although it might be uncomfortable not thinking so much all the time. So I'm using breath work as a stimulator of my body. And as I'm doing it, I'm saying, okay, got you. I got you we're working together to do that. I get into ice. Ice is a stimulator, maybe the most extreme of all and the most difficult. But again, it's a practice where I align how I'm reacting to the cold and how my mind is reacting to that scenario. And I link in some, some um, rooted optimism that's in rooted in truth, right? Because I could be like, everything's great and we're fine and everything I'm optimistic, but that ain't like, that's not true. What is truth anyway? But like in that moment, I'm trying to align everything into the fact that like, yes, I'm cold and yes, my body's starting to shiver, but the shivering makes sense. I'm in a cold bath. And at the same time, I'm not under threat. I have a warm shower right outside I have a timer, I'm with some friends. So there's me like communicating to myself these little um, stable pieces of safety so that I feel more calm. And then um, that is very much similar to breath work, how I communicate and use a stimulate. And then in the same sense, exercises in the same, same mm -hmm. vein. You're running. Why am I running? What's going on? Reacting. I like to use running as a psychophysiological practice. Hey, I'm doing this for me. And as soon as I start to like activate and, and talk to myself in a positive way, as I'm doing it, I'm finding that I'm buying in more and then my body's responding better. And then my recovery time's a little bit shorter and, and the way that I'm moving and feeling is a little better. So um, ice and, and breath work, I think relate more because they're kind of on an extreme. And then at the same time, you're, you're using and communicating in the same way. So I like, I like the combination, but I go into ice so many times without doing any breath work. And I do so much breath work without even adding ice at all. And so um, they don't have to be married, but they do marry very well together. Yeah, because of that nervous system regulation piece that they're, they're regulating that. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, chances are you'll enjoy our free ebook, How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step -step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. It's free, you just have to stick your email address in and download it. 
To find it, head to mindsetrx.com slash ebook. That's mindsetrxd.com slash ebook. Now, let's get on with the show. What are the fundamentals that we need to know about breath? Like, I'm sure that there's some things that it's like, okay, this is kind of, um, yeah, the starting point that we need to build from. Yeah. Um, few fundamentals. So Brian McKenzie was, is one of my mentors and good buddies. He's the man. Uh, and I worked with him, um, in mentorship for a year last year. And I really gained so much from that, uh, dynamic and and the one thing i really love about his teachings is that he pushes principles over methods so many methods are out there but they're all using the same principles so what are the principles of breath work what's the foundation of breath one of the principles that he finds to be really valuable and i agree is nasal breathing being optimal to mouth breathing, given that you have nasal sinuses um, and different benefits that you get from nasal breathing on a regular basis versus mouth breathing. So um, we, we can talk about that or you can look into that. But like, like I said, so much research supporting nasal breathing and its effect on the whole being. Um, can you go so, into that? Like, I think yeah. there's this there's two types of people that will be listening to this. One of them will be thinking about it. Uh, it was, it's probably a blend, but one side will be thinking about um, how does this be- benefit me physiologically? And the other part will be how does this benefit me kind of in that mental, emotional landscape? And I suppose it's a blend of all of that, but like where, yeah, where does that lead to? Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about breath and nervous system regulation, um, nervous system 101, super quick rest and digest is parasympathetic, um, fight or flight is sympathetic. So you get activated, you're ready for action and you go into your sympathetic nervous system, meaning that your heart rate starts to beat faster. Um, adrenaline is released. Um, your, your mind, it starts to get more like hyper-focused to, be aware of a scenario in case you need to escape. So it's a natural response. Parasympathetic. I think of it like a parachute. Parasympathetic slows us down, calms us. And in the parasympathetic restful state, that's where your breathing is slow naturally. That's where your heart rate is slow. That's where your nervous system is not on high alert. You can be in a restful state, which is ideal to be in a parasympathetic calm state for the majority of your day, like 90% of your day with little short bursts of action, sympathetic activation, and then come right back down. So uh, often people are a little bit in this chronic stressful state of sympathetic uh, and, and then they're like always on high alert, which can, is damaging to the body. It causes increase in inflammation in the body and, and it causes damages of the telomeres at the end of your DNA strands. And, and so that heightened stress over a prolonged period of time, chronic stress, chronic sympathetic activation is, isn't the most ideal state to be in on a normal day-to-day basis, we can link in mouth breathing, unrestricted, 
not filtered through our sinuses, a little bigger, a little faster, mm -hmm. maybe it raises our shoulders and we do shoulder breathing more than diaphragmatic, but we can link and it's been linked mouth breathing activates sympathetic nervous system. Nasal breathing deactivates sympathetic or drops you down into parasympathetic. So nasal breathing being beneficial over mouth breathing for many reasons, but one of the most important is whenever you're breathing through your nose in a slow, calm way, there's a lot of positive correlations to your thinking mind neuro neurology saying I am safe. And when you're safe, you don't have to be stressed. So if you're stressed and you want to calm down, shift to nasal breathing as a way to influence the system. It's not a fix all. So you're not going to be stressed having a panic attack. Okay. And then you're like, fuck, I didn't, it didn't work. It's like, it's not a fixer, but it's a way to help influence. And if you have that awareness that if I breathe through my nose in a slow way, I can calm down. That's beneficial. Um, sleep tape is popular. You put tape over your mouth at night. So you can breathe through your nose at night and it'll improve quality of your sleep. I love sleep tape and I love sleep taping whenever I'm working at my computer uh, or if I'm journaling or I'm reading, I'll often find that habitually I'll start breathing through my mouth, which isn't terrible, but I want to be as fit, as efficient as I can. And sometimes when I'm breathing through my mouth, I notice I get distractible. So I'll do a little thing of tape over my mouth while I'm reading emails. I got like a 45 minute block of time where I need to focus and I'll use tape on my mouth to, to encourage and enforce but encourage nasal breathing so that i can be more efficient in my work because nasal breathing is more efficient um, by research and, and and studies that are coming out showing efficiency and, and so um, nasal breathing is something that i highly uh cool. support and advocate for so we've got this kind of nasal breathing for calm focus slow um and then and wide i suppose a wide aperture of focus uh, like receiving information mm -hmm. um and then we have um the sympathetic mouth breathing for um for kind of a narrow aperture like there's only one thing to think about there's stress there's kind of work hard how does that correlate to or are there are other ways that we can dictate our mental strength, uh, mental state through, um, modulating our breath. Yeah. So, um, one way is through choosing which vessel we breathe through nose or mouth, and then pacing is important. How, how fast are you breathing? Depth is important. How deep is your breath? Um, how many breaths do I link together? So duration of breathing, um, a combination of, of all of the above Am my nasal breathing fast and quick and over 20 minutes time and my mouth breathing really deep, long, slow into my diaphragm stomach, that's going to influence the mental state. And so, um, this is where I think that breath work becomes a very personal, let me self-explore practice, um, mm. Brian McKenzie says N equals one. You are the one subject of your own study of yourself. So 
what happens whenever I mouth breathe super, super, super fast and then hold. And there's another piece holding, holding breath at the top, holding breath at the bottom. Those are going to influence mental states and processing. And so how you blend those all together. Um, I think of Steph Curry as a basketball player or Sean White as a snowboarder. Um, these guys practice their three-point shot hundreds of times over and over and over. Block training. Block training is doing the same thing over, mm -hmm. over, over. Repetition. Good. Now a new movement over, over, over. Repetition. You get good at those seven different blocks and then all of a sudden you can do one move and transition it into another move and then you pull back into another and then i think about jujitsu and then you're like there's no time for you to do the same thing over and over because you're wrestling someone who's going to be doing something different so you're always moving reacting and that's almost how i breathe now and do breath work now is like i'll mix in like a fast like nasal breathing and then i slow it down And then I'll do maybe some like Kundalini <laughs> exhale puffs. And then I, then I sit and feel and notice how my body reacted to a culmination of different techniques. And so you can nasal breathe a certain way and do a block of nasal slow breathing. And that's going to affect you one way you can do fast Wim Hof style breathing. And that's going to affect you in another way. And I love that those affect, and I feel like I, I've found that my, I really like how my body responds whenever I mix and match three things quickly together, because then that elicits a different layer because I've done Wim Hof so many times and mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, I kind of feel and know what you I know get. It, no. And I get uh, holotropic and I know what I get out of that. And I do like the ego eradicator breath of fire and I know what I get, but I don't know what will happen to me whenever I mix four of those in a new way that I've never mixed before. And as I do that, I'm like, Oh, fuck. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm expanding my nervous system regulation capacity to handle different scenarios. Because a lot of times I did breath so I could handle my day-to-day -day life situations with more ease and less like freak out. And the thing is, if I'm doing Wim Hof, and I learn how to like less freak out with Wim Hof. And then all of a sudden I'm walking down the road and an old lady cuts me off. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, I should be able to uh, react to that. So I like to surprise myself with different practices to set myself up to have a greater capacity to, to explore. So I jumped down a little rabbit hole, but that's, no, that's what I'm up to it, right now, man. <laughs> it, it really got me thinking because I suppose if you sit in meditation, you like typically you just sit and you watch the mind and in that you're only offering your mind a very narrow slice of consciousness at one time because you're going in with one state and you're kind of focused on okay this is the way i feel right now these are the kind of thoughts that are going to be pervasive in this moment because of the external environment or my internal environment but it's this, this narrow slice of the potential range of um, experience but if you're mod if you're intentionally modulating your state, you're going to become more aware of those big swings, those different kind of high um, high indications, high um, increases 
increases in obviousness, I suppose, of your, um, of your mental state. So mm. at that point, you're kind of, you're teaching yourself to go, oh, okay, this is what this state feels like. This is what this state feels like. Oh, I can see now that these relationship between the thoughts, emotions, physical sensation, um, behaviors, like wanting to do urges, like motivations, like you can seal this and you're doing that because, or you can see it more clearly because of the modulation of your, uh, your breath. Absolutely. And it's because your modulation of breath, but really deeper than the modulation of the breath, it's you recognizing that one thing doesn't indicate what's happening to me. Mm. Breath is influence. How I'm feeling inside my body is an influence. This thing, how I slept last night is an influence and, and bringing in my work in pain and working with chronic pain and, and stressful pain, uh, I so frequently work with people who are like, I feel hurt and pain because of this. Mm. And there's such a strong correlation in their mind that this one thing is the reason that I'm hurting. And if I solve this, then the pain will go away. So they go on this journey, sometimes many years of pursuing this reason why they're feeling this way and trying to solve that one answer but that journey is complicated because they'll never get to it because they're looking at their pain as a one source um, outcome and what i say is why am i in pain is a very complex question there are so many reasons why so to answer it with a single simple answer that doesn't add up mm. Or to say, hey, why am I in pain? Because so many things have contributed to this pain and contribute to this pain. And all of a sudden, I, I just stumbled across this. But as I started to work with patients in this way, I saw their stress go down. They're like, oh, I'm not in pain because of that. I'm in pain because of that and 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 that. And that. Okay, for some reason that calms people down. It's almost like they don't have to fix it. They can accept that the experience comes from a lot of things. And that acceptance piece is so pivotal for shifting how you approach the way you're feeling. So as soon as you accept that, you're like, oh, I got to change a few things in my life. Not just that one thing, like, oh, I'm in some rough relationships that aren't empowering me. My, my job isn't like this. Oh, these things are going on. Okay, cool. So then all of a sudden, it's, there's, there's this multifaceted shift. And how I'm linking to what you were just saying is using breath in so many different ways allows you to open and expand your mind into the uh, like meaning behind different reactions you know mm. so, yes yeah the men the example that comes to mind is that of bulging discs like yeah. how it's a ridiculous amount of the population who upon analysis actually have bulging discs but a small percentage that say oh i've got back pain but the the source of the back pain is almost always indicated to be oh you've got bulging discs but it's like that correlation doesn't make sense um and I've, I've got a friend who's doing some research on this um working on a phd around this area at the moment um so that's like it's fascinating to to see that 
um, to, to see that there's that link there. Um, so yeah, this, so I suppose my question is what is pain? What is pain? Um, I, I, I think pain is, <clears throat> well, the international, uh, society of pain or, um, committee of pain defines pain as a, um, a negative physical and or emotional experience in the body. And, and so that's like by definition. Um, and I like the experience piece because for me, it's hard to answer what is pain. Uh, I think whenever people say, Hey, I have pain, what they're really saying is, Hey, I'm having a, 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 a pain experience. So when I'm talking to patients, I always say pain experience, Hey, your pain experience, your pain experience, because pain exists in so many ways, but how you experience the pain is I think more important. Um, what is pain? Uh, it exists. Pain is just a part of life. Pain is a thing that will ever be, will be forever present. I see it kind of in the same, um, vain as love what is love love is something that i have towards someone no i don't think so love is something that just exists in the world and it is there it is present and we can tap into it and appreciate the presentness of love pain is the same way pain is in the world it exists and how we communicate and how we receive it is based on our own personal experience. So um, the pain experience uh, is so individualized and it is so multifaceted and it is so complex and it is something that is really difficult to answer with a single definition. <laughs> um, what do we know about the, like, the physical process of pain and how it works? Yeah, so pain <clears throat> as we understand it and how it works in the body is also up for debate. Um, Descartes, the uh, philosopher from, I think like 200 BCE, uh, but early, early philosopher of human body and thinking, Descartes said that when you touch something, he found that when you touch something that hurts, there is a pain pathway that goes from finger touching painful point through your arm, through your body, up to your brain, and it targets and it, it elicits a brain pain response. And there, all of a sudden, that's how pain works. You poke something that hurts and it moves through a neural connection and boom, you receive the information of pain in your brain. And that's what pain is. And that was believed to be true. And it there is truth to it, but it believed to be like, is believed to be the only truth of pain for hundreds of years. And then comes in uh, a new stage of human awareness of brain neurology. And you find that there are different parts of the brain. And then there's a prefrontal cortex and the emotional center. And then all of a sudden we look deeper into the nervous system and the peripheral nerves and how there are different fibers in the nerves that can send signals of temperature and pressure and pain. And now all of a sudden Descartes theory of, Oh, you poke and it hurts and line goes to brain. That's pain started to expand into uh, what's called like the neocortex theory, which I like. Um, and the neocortex theory means that you poke something that hurts and it goes into a 
brain system, the neocortex that is influenced by memories, by trauma. It's influenced by what parts of your body is activated, how much water you've been drinking, the efficiency of your endocrine system, the efficiency of your biochemistry. So that poking something that hurts can go to your brain, but how you perceive it is really, really um, determined by what state you are in uh, psychologically and or physiologically or neurochemistry chemically. Um, so that theory is basically like, okay, pain's fucking complex because you touch something that hurts. I touched this really fucking hot thing of coffee. Ow, pain hurts. But then I re-examine the coffee mug and it's actually cold. It wasn't, it wasn't hot, but I had a perception of it being hot. And I remember that time that I was three years old and I touched something and it was hot and I hurt and burned my finger. And those memories come in and they influence that experience that I just had. And then in addition to that, my mom yelled at me and then I felt like she didn't love me. And then all of a sudden something else happened. And so this me feeling pain is not at all a direct uh, indicator of what I experienced in my somatic mm. and my sensory input system. So pain and how it works in the bodies is like this, there's this neocortex neocortex piece that complicates what that is and then you add in what's called the biopsychosocial piece biopsychosocial means biological psychological and social uh, contributions of pain and then all of a sudden it's not just what's happening in my head the social pieces what is your income like what is your uh community relationship what is how how um what's going on in the world and in the collective consciousness. <laughs> like, so there's so many layers. And I think as we learn more about pain, we learn that we look, we, we really don't know. We can't even touch what the complexity of it is and how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gabo Mate's work is massive for me in understanding that. And like, I'm, I'm still on the fence with, with some of his points, but like the data seems so overwhelming that, the broad theory behind it seems absolutely like outstandingly correct. And I think this, I'm going to butcher the details of the study, but he always gives details and people can look it up on YouTube if they want to of um, a, a study of breast cancer survivors. And if they had someone that they could speak to about the experience and they were going through difficult, um, a difficult time in life, they were, less likely to develop breast cancer than if they had just one of those pieces like if they if they just had someone speak to but no difficult experiences like it, it there's a correlation between a physiological response um and also a kind of the the social environment that you find yourself in or the biopsychosocial environment that you find yourself in absolutely yeah so so um i think that's a huge piece and something that i didn't really acknowledged to be a contributing factor until i learned about it and then yeah um, yeah so it's mind-blowing and um, i'm interested by what you learned from brian mckenzie yeah well um that's that's a profound amount of information that i learned yeah please download a year's worth of mentorship into yeah for sure um, well well I think what, what started as a, uh, a breath work mentorship really developed into a, um, like a, a mutual like relationship and friendship 
And um, I think what I learned in the breathwork piece portion of it, like say the first year, half of the year was um, a lot of like breath learnings. And then the second half was that deeper social piece, a little more connection. And, and that in that second piece, that's where I really got pushed and pressed by him and encouraged by him, but challenged and like, oh, is that really what you want? Oh, is that what you think? Like, are you sure you think what you think you think? And it's just like, he, he's great at uh, mind fuckery in a very positive, beautiful way. And at the same time, uh, I think his mere presence uh, put my body into a state of nervous stress. Uh, that was what I was look, looking for as far as like challenging myself to like mm -hmm. show up and sometimes he wouldn't even say a word and I'd be like, Oh shit, what the hell is going on? Um, so yeah, but, something so, about him. He has that presence, doesn't he? Like I, I've interviewed him a few times and kind of yeah. this, even through like a zoom call, there's something about him that has a, a different presence to most uh, humans. Oh yeah. It's great. And like, I want it, I want it in my life. And that's why mm -hmm. I really was like drawn to it. And I, I love the evolution of, um, I'd call it the evolution of my mentorship with him is really, I was like, Oh, cool. Like what a, what a grounded human with positive and real and unobstructed truths. Uh, and someone who's just like, really doesn't have, he doesn't give a shit for my like uh, whininess or anything that's like holding me. He, he just sees me in my highest and really holds me to that with a, uh, a nice presence. So, very true um and then on the front front end of my work with him we did a ton of um like breath tables oxygen tables co2 tables breath holds um perception of breath and time if i would hold my breath for x amount of time um and then time it versus not time how does that shift my perception of everything so um his work is really fascinating on both layers of breath specific and um just mental connection specific there's a couple of questions i like to ask everyone to kind of wrap things up and the yeah. first is one that i've very obviously stolen from tim ferris but i think it's a great question um what books have you gifted most yeah. Uh, this is when I gifted Brian recently. Uh, it's called the Tao of physics, like, like based on like the Tao Te Ching. Um, it's by Fridjof Capra, C-A-R or C-A-P-R-A Capra. Uh, and he's like a 1980s atomic physicist. And it's, it's a blend of anatomic physics or atomic physics and um, Eastern mysticism, which is like fucking money for me. I'm like, hell yeah. Let me like learn more about the, the underlying subatomic particles and vibrations of the world and um, how, what we see as spirituality and how all the teachings of spirituality around the Eastern world really line up together and it makes sense that they line up together based on what we're learning about vibrations of particles and everything is everything and there is no separation and there is no pieces like basic building blocks it's just energy um so that book is one that i read recently i fucking love it and i've been 
throwing it around like candy. So, Hey, shoot me your uh, address and I'll be sending it your way too, gifting it. Oh, mate. That sounds great. I love that. Um, what habits do you perform for your own mental health and performance? Um, all of them. I, I do it uh, every day. And what is it that I do? Um, I walk around throughout my whole day connected to the importance of my mental health and well-being. So um, I have habits. I have a very beautiful morning ritual routine. I wake up before the sunrise. I take in the light from the sunrise. And if there is no sun because of clouds, I have um, some nice sun lamps. So I, I like to bring in light from that physiological piece, coffee, 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 a lot of coffee as a very spiritual practice of mine. Uh, and, and, and so I, I've put a lot of emphasis uh, connecting myself to nature in the mornings with sunrise at night with sunset. So I'm very like circadian rhythm um, um, aligned and, at the same time, I have these like strong structures of time for myself in the morning and the evening. But during the day, I really, it's almost like I have this like internal mental post-it note that says like, breathe. This internal post-it note that I'm always walking around looking and observing and feeling. It says like, mm -hmm. be the best motherfucker you can be today. This, this post-it note another post-it note in my mind says like uh how are you feeling like how can you communicate how how can you share love like so so much of my habits i i don't want them to be just habits that i do to check the box i really have found a lot of value in this like walking being meditation type state and always holding that and then at the same time like give myself grace and be like okay fuck it i just want to watch some sports and chill but um that that's important to me and and um a way that i i think i view that is i have blocks of habits and ritual but at the same time i, I feel like i'm always connected to that deeper purpose of why i'm doing some things and these things so um yes Sweet. All of it then. Really all of it. Every moment. Fucking as many moments as I can have. Yeah. So finally, where can people find out more about you? Where can they follow your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my personal brand is True Self Health. Uh, you can find me. My website is www.trueself.health. Uh, and so you can find all the information on me and my um, links to communicate with me. If you have any questions, you can jump on a call. I'm happy to, to drop in and hold space for people and, and see if you want to work together. Um, and then on Instagram, that's probably primary place to find me and my information. Um, and it's the same tag, true self health. That's all one word on Instagram. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mentioned Andrew Huberman earlier in the podcast. Love him. I love his mission and his mission is really creating a direct to consumer free 
flow of information on health and wellness. And I see myself um, really aligning with that, uh, just channeling as much as I can to people, um, unobstructed thoughts, just saying what's going on. So um, you can either sign up for my six-week course, that's $7,000, or you can just go to my Instagram and get all the same information and follow and just absorb what I'm saying. And yeah, I actually don't have that six-week course, $7,000, I was joking. Um, you do. Yeah, <laughs> some, you know, your Instagram is great. I really enjoy it. And um, yeah. you've put some uh, beautiful work up there as well. Like really beautiful. Like um, you, yeah, your, your post on journaling was really cool. I really enjoyed like looking through that and like the detail in there was super cool. Fuck yeah, dude. I, I, I was journaling on that exact prompt this morning and it's like, I feel joy hearing that you, you appreciated that. That's huge. And that's why I put stuff out is, um, to have that effect and impact so thank you man i appreciate that thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me man i'm tom foxley thank you for listening to the limitless athlete podcast following this episode will be released in the debrief actually next week we won't be releasing the debrief for the next couple of weeks we're going to take a little break from that whilst i'm away um, but still make sure you subscribe to the show because next week we've got an awesome interview with a neuroscientist who focuses on the physical structures behind beliefs and the role they play in life. So basically, if you want to know why you do the things you do, why you hold the beliefs you do, and how to change them, this is the show for you. So in the meantime, leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll hear my dulcet tones very soon. <laughs>